Good evening, happy new year, tomorrow, Merry Christmas. Um, we're going to be starting a new series or something, I don't, I just haven't settled on exactly what it is. We're going to talk about um, the book of Matthew and also the, this idea of, uh, one of the main themes in Matthew is facing change. Okay, I think New Year's is, is a time where people make resolutions, where they decide to do new things, and I think um, this is hard to do because uh, most people that have a resolution and they uh, will probably forget it or stop doing it recently. Has any, does anyone have any resolutions that they've made this year? No one? Were everyone, Elise, yeah? What is it? You're going to paint something every day. Wow. And the rest of you are just going to live exactly as you have been for the next year. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, um, that's fine. Maybe you'll think of something um, by tomorrow or even after that. But, but anyway, uh, change or doing something new is so hard because we, we get into it and then uh, kind of life happens and we're right back to living how we were before. But the book of Matthew um, is actually um, written to a specific audience, to these Jewish Christians in Antioch, and that kind of gives it um, the direction or the theme uh, for much of the gospel. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Matthew, uh, almost looking through this lens of, of facing change. And in order to, to do that, we need some context on Matthew and why we got, uh, why uh, the audience of Matthew got to where it was if that makes any sense. Hopefully it will by the end of this introduction. Um, in, in order to understand Matthew, you have to understand the temple was the most important thing for Jewish people in the ancient world. The, the temple um, was a sacred location for thousands of years. It, it was the religious and the political and the financial heart of the Jewish faith and all of its traditions. And, and in this ancient world, it was deemed central to uh, their identity and to their life as Jewish people. This, this uh, temple, its location was on Mount Moriah, in, which became Jerusalem. And we have kind of a timeline here on the screen um, because it's kind of confusing if I just read all this in a row. So, so Mount Moriah, according to Jewish tradition, was the place where Abraham, in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, was asked to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Maybe you're familiar with the story. God says, go sacrifice your son Isaac. But then at the last minute, God kind of tells Abraham not to do it. So this is a very holy site for the Jewish people. About 1,000 years after that, King David was led to the same uh, site, to the same mountain, which, which turned into Jerusalem. Uh, and then a, a year, 100 years after that, uh, David's son Solomon, in about the year 900 um, BCE, or like before Christ, um, built the temple. This was the first temple. Solomon's temple um, and the sacrifices that were offered there, they, they, were, uh, they guaranteed uh, the Jewish people's relationship with God. In this time, people were very almost like afraid of the gods and uncertain about how the gods would react to certain things. And so the sacrificial system was seen as a good thing because people knew exactly what to do. They knew what laws to follow and what, ha what to do when they broke the law. So this like was a level of comfort for the Jewish people. They knew what would happen and the process to go through things with. But in the 6th century um, BCE, so um, the, the Babylonian, the Bab people from Babylon came and conquered uh, Jerusalem and they conquered the temple and they destroyed much of the temple. They, they captured the priestly class, so kind of the religious leaders, and they sent them away into exile. 
And also around this time, the people who were left and when the people came back from exile, they started to rebuild the temple. And this would be called the second temple. Next, in the 4th century, Alexander the Great, he came in, uh, maybe you've heard of him from history class, he came in and kind of conquered things, but he was actually pretty nice to the Jewish people. He let them have uh, their temple and worship however they wanted. So things were uh, very um, nice and peaceful under Alexander the Great. But Alexander the Great died seven years after conquering uh, this place, so it wasn't peaceful for very long. After this, the Greco-Syrian rulers moved in, and what they did is they, they desecrated the temple. They brought in their gods and their idols, and they put them up in the temple, and they forced uh, the Jewish people to kind of keep all of these things there. So, not, I mean, pretty harsh and not, not very nice people. In the middle of the second century, um, the Ma- there was a Maccabean revolt where these Jewish people, they rose up and they took back the temple. They re-secured and they re-cleansed the temple um, for the Jewish people. This is the celebration of Hanukkah that Jewish people still celebrate today. But, as we know, the, the peaceful time doesn't last for long. In 63 BCE, they were absorbed into the Roman Empire and people were taxed extremely heavily. People were up to 90%. So the Jewish people at this time were living in, in immense poverty. Um, about 10 years before Jesus' birth, there were riots during the Passover and they took control of the temple for a little bit, but then Rome sent their centurions in and thousands of people were killed. The Jewish people kept rebuilding the temple uh, time and time again because there were these small rebellions that were ultimately overthrown until the year 70 where there was a new emperor named Vespasian and he said, let's deal with this problem once and for all. So what Vespasian did, his son was in charge of the military, he came in and they, they absolutely leveled the temple. They shattered the altar, they burned the scrolls, they took the walls down of the temple and literally brought the rocks out of the city. They, they massacred all of the temple authority and they, and they slaughtered tens of thousands of people. This was a major, major uh, conquest by Rome of saying, like, we're finally going to put an end to, to this Jewish temple and these Jewish people. And I'd imagine if you were living in that time, like, there was no hope. I mean, the one thing for these people, the temple, the one thing that grounds them and gave them meaning was absolutely destroyed. There were few people who got out or the few remaining leaders. They, they fled to a city called Antioch, which was 100 miles north. And Antioch, it was kind of the new center for the remnants of the Hebrew faith. And in Antioch, we're almost at the end of our history lesson, but, but it's kind of fun, isn't it? We're, um, there were four factions in Antioch um, at, the, at this time, around 70 uh, CE, so, which is about 40 years after Jesus. So these are four groups within the Jewish people in Antioch who, who uh, had these different ideas about what all of this meant. One group of people, they said, this is the apocalypse. The end time is near. Um, the world is ending. This thing by Rome was so bad that we're, we're convinced that the end is near. There was a second group, uh, the Pharisees. We've heard of them, but they had a strict adherence to the law, like the Old Testament law. And they said, if only we would follow the law and get back to following the law, then things will be good for us. They thought the reason that the temple got destroyed was because the Jewish people weren't following the law well enough. So they said, let's get back to the law and everything will be fine. A third group of people were just confused. They were in a new place. They had no temple. They didn't really have any idea what to happen. They were just kind of waiting to see what would happen. And there's a fourth, the Messianic Jews. 
This is the group of Jewish people who believed that Jesus was their Messiah. And so these people had different problems than the other factions because, because they believed their Messiah had already come. They believed that they were already kind of delivered or, or that salvation happened in almost a different way. So they were faced with these questions of what did the Messiah expect in the wake of this? What does, does the Christ expect of us in the wake of the loss of the temple, of the priests, of the rituals, of this, this great like hub of everything that we do in life? Now that that's gone, what do we do next? So this is this fourth faction of people, the, the Messianic Jews, is Matthew's intended audience. He, he wrote to these people who were in times of immense chaos and trial and difficult um, beginnings or, or endings, really. And then throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he wanted them to understand that their Messiah who had come, that Jesus, the Christ, um, he brought about a new temple. A new temple that was built within each person, that, that gave each follower of Jesus a direct relationship with God. That no longer was a huge building or, or a special location needed to reach God, that, that now each person had direct access to God because of Jesus, the Christ's death and resurrection. Throughout Matthew, um, as he talks about this change and writing into these times of turmoil, there's a focus on, on self-honesty, on self-compassion in the face of loss and, and, of, and of trust in, in God throughout everything. So that's our history lesson. That's the context that Matthew was writing to. And I thought we're, Christmas had already, has already happened, but, but we're going to still hang out in the story for just a little bit longer. Throughout Advent, we've been focusing on Luke and the story of Mary and how, how the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a son and he's going to be the Savior. And then Mary sings a song and everyone's just so happy about what's going to happen and what God is doing. Uh, they were filled with hope and it's like we knew this whole time what was going on. But in Matthew's version, um, he focuses not on Mary, but on Joseph. And the story is almost filled with, with uncertainty, with, with not knowing what to do next, with God kind of changing the path of what we might expect to happen. Um, I'll read this from, from Matthew chapter 1. It'll also be on the screen. Um, you can follow along. This is Matthew 1, verses 18, and we'll end in verse 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son and named him Jesus." It says right away, Ben, if you could flip back to the first slide, that, that Joseph, he was a devout man. He was, he was a righteous man. And, and so this means he followed the religious rules. He, he, he was a good believer, a good follower of God. And, and he finds that Mary is pregnant. And he knows that the child isn't his. 
I'd imagine he must have felt betrayed. He must have felt trapped. Like, why did this happen to me? I've done everything right. Mary and I were on this path towards marriage and we were just going to live this happy life together and nothing was going to kind of get in the way of that. But then he finds out again that Mary is pregnant. And he's faced with this question, what do you do? See, in Jewish life, uh, especially in the ancient world, um, it was filled with this demand for like adherence to the law and to the rules and to the way that you do things. I mean, there were clear expectations for behavior and also um, the response to what would happen if you did something wrong, if you broke the law. Also, Joseph, he was a descendant from David, from King David, one of the highest people in kind of Jewish uh, history. So, so he had lots of honor to his family name. So staying with Mary, he could have lost uh, this honor. He could have been going against uh, his religious um, traditions. He could have been going against societal norms. He's faced with the question of whether I follow uh, the rules and traditions that he grew up with or do something else. And it says right away that he, he almost gives in to this tradition. He goes along, uh, he decides to quietly end the marriage. Right? It says he, he decides he will dismiss her quietly. And it's like, of course he would do this, right? I mean, this is what any good Jewish person or any good righteous person would do. The rules and the laws are kind of in place for a reason, and if you don't follow them, uh, you could be, could be kicked out. I mean, I mean, in this time, the, the culture and the, the tri- everyone lived in these villages where everyone knew kind of everything about everyone, and there, were, there was lots of shame involved with anyone who kind of would go against uh, any of these societal or religious norms. And really, the, the religion and, and his social like, status and, and, social and society is, are some of the main things that kind of ground us in life and give us meaning, right? A lot of the reason we do anything is because of, of our faith in God or, or our standing with our family or with our friends or, or with society at large. And so Joseph, by... Um, if he were to go along with Mary's pregnancy, even though this baby wasn't his, he could have been, um, be ostracized from all of that. But then, we know the story doesn't end there. An angel appears and tells him to keep Mary and to raise the boy as his own and name him Jesus. And we kind of read this, at least I remember this growing up, it's like, and then they lived happily ever after, right? It's like, now Joseph and Mary are just going to sail off into the sunset on their donkey, and they're going to go to Bethlehem, there's going to be a a baby, and everyone's going to be there and bring gifts, and it's all going to be great. But, But this couldn't have been the case. Joseph, but by listening to what God was doing, he was going against his, he could potentially lost his social standing, going against the religious uh, traditions, and perhaps his family would have been very upset. It's like for Joseph, there are certain rules, certain things that, that he was forced to do, and, and he was, if you follow them, you're in good standing, and if you go against them, you risk losing everything. And, and maybe we think as we read this that like, oh, this is just a one-time thing. This is just when God came into the world, so God was doing different things for Joseph, and now this doesn't really apply to our life. But I think as we're thinking about this in our own lives, there's, there's certain things we each can do um, that would maybe cause us, maybe not to get kicked out, but at least to be judged by our families. There are certain things we can do that, that maybe our religious traditions wouldn't um, be super happy about. This is the line that God was asking Joseph to cross. 
And Joseph does. Joseph becomes a, a perfect example, a powerful example of faith and trust because of all that he's going against. He trusted that, that this new word from God was taking him somewhere, and he went with what God was saying. I think this story, it shows us that, that Joseph, he, he stayed open to this inner message of God even when he was faced with conflict and change. That there were maybe feelings and fears and traditions that he was, he was forced to go along with, but, but God's message contradicted this. It's a challenge of not letting the demands of others or the traditions keep you from something new that God could be doing. That God could be up to something we must be willing to move forward in faith no matter what, no matter the cost. After the birth of Jesus, um, Joseph is given another message. He, God says, go to Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill all of the children. And, and for Joseph or for any Jewish person, Egypt would be the worst place ever. Egypt is where Israel was in slavery for thousands or hundreds of years. Why would you go back to there? Why would you go back to the place of the most pain? But Joseph goes anyway. Then Herod dies, and, and he's given another message. So in this story, Joseph is given three messages from the angel. The third one says, don't return to Bethlehem. Don't return to your home, but actually go to Galilee. Go to Nineveh. Um, Nineveh, Nazareth, sorry, he's not Jonah. Um, go to Nazareth. And, and see, Nazareth was a place, uh, it was in the north, and it was almost like a foreign land if you had been from Bethlehem. So he's being called to, to go away from his family, from his home, from the things he is used to, and, and he listens. This story, I think, has a challenge that God could be up to something new, and, and it, it won't be easy. It could cause us to go against family. It could cause us to go against our traditions, our traditions. It could even send us to a new land and a new country and a new place. But there is hope because at the end of this, there is a new birth and the Savior was born. Jesus came to the earth and everything was changed. So I think in this story, I think there's three, three things we can take away from this. We can look for in our own lives. The first is maybe the most obvious, but, but the angel came to Joseph in silence. Right? Three times. There were three messages from God. And, and I wonder that, that if God wanted to say something to, I wonder this for myself, but maybe you can ask yourself this. If God wanted to say something to you, would you even hear it? Right? Would, would you even hear it? Like, are we ever quiet enough um, where God can speak to us, where we can listen to God? Yeah, I've heard um, from God's times in prayer, not like God's audible voice, but there's times where you can kind of quiet and center yourself and things become more clear and God becomes more real and, and the way to go somehow um, is brought to light. But there's also other times where, where maybe in just like the everyday, the ordinary moments where um, you're just waiting in line somewhere or, or you're walking somewhere and maybe God could be trying to bring something up. God could be trying to say something to you. But 
you pull out your cell phone the moment you're, you're faced with anything. I mean, if you're watching TV, you'll be watching a show, and then a commercial will come on, and you'll take out your phone and look at a different screen because that screen stopped being interesting enough for you. And it's all of these moments that, that we just distract ourselves when there's one second of downtime or boredom. So are we ever quiet enough? Are we ever quiet enough to hear what God could say? And second, that God um, could call you to do something new, and it might be scary, and this is where faith comes in. It could go against your traditions. It could go against the social norms, uh, just as it did for Joseph. And and what will you do? Will you do this new thing that God is calling you towards? And I think the reason that we can ask this for ourselves, I think one of the, the powers of Scripture is that Scripture reveals God's character to us. That in this story, we see how God acts in the world. So so seeing God telling Joseph to go do something new, to leave his land, to stay with Mary, that this shows that God can bring people to do new things. And if God can do it to Joseph, God can do it to us as well. And will you have enough, enough trust in what God is doing to move forward? And third, as if the end, when, when Joseph goes to Egypt and then back um, to Nazareth, will we risk going to uncomfortable or, or foreign or scary places? Places we're not used to, places where no one knows us, places where we're not at home. Like, will we risk going there? And the hope is that if we, if we do this, if we listen to God, if we are so in tune with God that, that we hear the will of God and know uh, where God wants us to go, that that something new can be born. That the power of this Christmas season and of Jesus' birth is, is that there's renewal possible, that something new can be born in each person. It says that the angel promised that Jesus would come and save people from their sins, save people from sin, from anything that's keeping them from God. I'd imagine we all have something in our lives now that's keeping us from God, that, that, but if we believe that, that Jesus offers this new birth, it's speaking to each one of us. In whatever it is that, that, that God is calling us um, to, maybe it's confess or repent or calling us just to live a better life, that is where God is bringing us this season. Well, Matthew is, is written to these Jewish people in Antioch who just had their temple destroyed. They had no idea what would happen. They had no idea where to go or what to do next. And Matthew, as we'll talk about these next few weeks, is uh, a major theme is what to do in the face of change. And, and the story of Joseph for these people who had just lost everything would have been very encouraging um, because they just lost their temple and their religious leaders, but yet here um, it's saying God can still be up to something, that, that God can be up to something new, that new birth is coming, so have faith. That, that when you find yourself in unknown places or far away lands, don't give up hope, but that God can come to you and silence and God can show you the way to go. And now we are not first century Jews um, in Antioch, but also we, we, kind of, we kind of are because we are in uncertain times. There's lots of change socially, lots of change politically, economically. What, what, I mean, economically, I, I just, Carl and I have been talking, I just got some Bitcoin, whatever that is. So I, Jenny is laughing at me. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Um, but there's, that's just, 
Things are changing and there's an uncertain world and it's not clear what, where things are going. People, um, I saw some, something on the internet, they were, um, they're like, I never thought a year could be worse than 2016, but then like 2017 happened. And I haven't thought about that well enough to know if I agree with that. But, but there's just this general sentiment of like, what is going on? I think the call is, is when we have this, this, this confusion or this seemingly chaos is that, is that how do we quiet ourselves? How do we listen? How do we be open to what God is doing? Because, because God is looking to redeem and to bring new birth and new life to every situation. Also, to end, like how, will we have enough faith? Will we have enough trust in God that God is sending us somewhere? Even when it's scary, even when it's calling us to do something new, will we have enough faith and trust that, that God is with us and that something new is coming? I would now like us to take maybe like three minutes just to sit in silence together. Um, if Maybe you haven't had three minutes of silence this past week, so, so we can do it right now. Whether you want to pray, to reflect, to just sit and look at the lights, of, of just listen for maybe what is God calling you to? What new thing is God bringing up in your life um, go, looking into this new year?